Hi, Don. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. You? I'm great, thanks. To be honest, I'm pretty excited as we're launching our Patreon over the next week. Yes, what an absolute treat to start 2023 with. I'll tell you what, though, before we start, I'm parched. Do you have any drinks? Uh, I don't. But our listeners could treat us to a dandelion and burdock every month to keep us hydrated for the podcast. Sounds good, but what would they get out of it? Well, for just £3 a month, they could get a full video episode with behind-the-scenes preamble and post-show chat every week. And let me tell you, wow. that's usually a real treat. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds like a real treat. That sounds awesome. I'm well up for that, but I don't need to because I'm involved. I don't need to pay. No, but they'd get that a day earlier than everybody else would release on a Tuesday. Surely, in that case, they'd also get the podcast version a day earlier as well. Absolutely. I'm concerned. Now we've become sellouts and decide to have adverts featured on the podcast, people will come for us with pitchforks. Well, in this tier, they'd get the episode ad-free. Excellent. Surely they can't get anything else in this tier. Not really. Only an extra wrap-up podcast at the end of each season where we watch interviews and performances from the era we've discussed and one watch-along episode a month where we'll watch and discuss a classic gig, film or anything Arctic Monkeys related. What, like Glasto 2013, Live at the Apollo, Scummy Man or Submarine? Yeah, exactly. And there's so many more. But I'm not done yet. We'll also be putting out special birthday party episodes on each band member and associated band members' birthdays. And do you know what's good about that? What's good about that? Alex's is the 6th of January. Amazing. Sounds like that would be a great day to launch the Patreon then with an Alex Turner birthday party episode ready and waiting for our patrons. As always, Nick. You read my mind. It's an amazing tier. And again, you get all that for just £3 a month. Yep. I don't see what else the next tier could possibly offer on top of that. Well, if you're now well hydrated and you fancy grabbing a pint with me, our listeners can treat us to one in our local, The Cornerstone. I'll be there in 10 minutes. For just £5 a month, our listeners can access our Cornerstone tier and get all the great features already referenced on the previous tier. Plus, and I'm excited about this. I'm on tenterhooks here. Or... Rusty hooks, as it were. Nice. Well, our Cornerstone patrons will also get a monthly Last Shadow Puppets podcast where we'll do a deep dive into a track from the beginning of the catalogue all the way to the end. Amazing. B-sides and all. B-sides and all. Wow, that's just outstanding. So all the previous features and the Shadow Puppets pod, incredible. Well, also... Each subscriber gets to pick any song from any band or artist that doesn't feature an Arctic Monkeys member in the act or production, and we'll put the songs into a prize draw once a month. So, for example, you might pick Thank You Next by Ariana Grande. The winning subscriber will get a podcast in our format on that song. They'll stay in the prize draw until they win, and we'll refresh annually. This all sounds amazing. Well, apart from the Ariana Grande bit, but yeah, that's a me issue. <laughs> so, we're launching on Alex's birthday? Yes, on the 6th of January, come to our link tree or socials to access Patreon, where you can choose your tier of choice. Once you've signed up, you'll immediately start seeing the benefits with the Alex Turner birthday party episode. This is all very exciting. Isn't it just? Well, we hope you're all as excited as we are and can help support us throughout 2023 and beyond. Bye, everyone. Bye. We're Arctic Monkeys. This is Don't Believe the Art. That rock and roll, eh? Ladies! That sound means it's the end of the game. Time for the bonus question. Cheers, dude. That man just yawned. We're going to call it, man. Don't believe the art.
Hello and welcome to the weekly podcast that is ambitiously working its way through the entire discography of the band of a generation, Arctic Monkeys. Yes, this is Don't Believe the Hype, out every lesbian Wednesday. A worthwhile pursuit and an important archive in modern music history. Not the words of my girlfriend, surprisingly, the words of Tom from Brooklyn, New York. Cheers, Tom. Look at that, eh? Hands across the Atlantic. Joining me, Nick Lee, is of course the main man itself. It's Dan Hall. Hello, Dan. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am absolutely tickety bleeding boo, mate. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, it's been a it's been a good been a good week. Um, nice to hear. We obviously we launched the podcast this week in the last forty eight hours. We have had our first email. It's not our first email ever, like as people. But it's our first email as a pod, and it comes from Tom in Brooklyn, NY, which I'm assuming is New York, because that's where Brooklyn is. Uh, Tom says, I want to thank you yep, both yep. for launching the podcast. The Arctic Monkeys are such an influential and formative band for so many people. And going through the history of the band in the podcast format is a worthwhile pursuit and an important archive in modern music history, which, A, we're going to put on the posters, and B... I'm just going to send that to my girlfriend every time she <laughs> says, oh, you're doing another bloody podcast, are you? But Tom remarks that he was yeah. so... <laughs> very jealous of Tom because he got to go to the the gig the other week at the King's Theatre in Brooklyn. Extremely jealous. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been more jealous of anyone in my entire life. Um, he said the, the atmosphere was electric and was heightened by the gorgeous and ornate venue that they performed in. Um which brings us brings on to the, the reason we've decided to go through this email, actually, because obviously, as we're recording, the latest single, Body Paint, has been released. And Tom's raised an interesting point about it that it'd be nice to get your thoughts on. So he said, the band debuted Body Paint at King's Theatre, giving a powerful and vibrant performance of the song, crescendoing with a guitar and drum-heavy breakdown to close the song out. When the studio version of the song was released, I was expecting the same power from the live performance to translate into the recording. Though I thought the album slash studio version was fantastic, it sounded a little bit subdued, most notably in the vocals, compared to what I heard live. I had a similar feeling after hearing One Point Perspective live and comparing it to the studio version. I think both of these songs are phenomenal. Agreed. However, if you've noticed this as well, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Maybe it's a stylistic choice at this point in their career, or maybe there's something musically going on that is above my head. Dan, what do you think, mate? Well, I just want to say before I jump into it that you, you said you'd never been more jealous of anyone but Tom there for going to the Brooklyn gig. I seem to remember many years ago there was a picture of Alex Turner playing a piano with Alexa Chung sat on his lap with her arms draped around him and you said, I've never been more jealous of Alexa Chung than I have of anyone ever. So just want to just wanted to clarify and that. At, um... at that point in my life, I was, I was quite jealous of Alex as well, I'll be quite honest with you. <laughs> um yeah no i think tom's makes a great point and i think it's something that i said to you and we obviously went at the brooklyn gig but we saw the the jimmy jimmy fallon performance and um i think us and i think a lot of fans would concur that that performance is better than the studio track i think it's better um not to say anything's wrong with the studio track but tom completely hits the nail on the head and it's um he's you know he's doing our job for us it's 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 subdued it's not i think alex sings more from his diaphragm i think he puts more into the performance there's probably an element of they've rehearsed it and it's changed and it's just a better track. And some songs are just better live even their songs like there's some of their own tracks like if you think about it 
like as much as you love like a Brian Storm, it's still better live. Or this one's just more noticeably better live because I think it's just a great performance that they give. I, I actually go as far to say I said this um, when I watched it. I said at the time that it. I think it was maybe the best live performance I've ever seen them do. I think it was it was an incredible performance that they gave on Jimmy Fallon last week, and it is it did make the song, it did enhance the song a lot. And yeah, I don't think there's any. I think it, they recorded it. They've kind of maybe yeah not taken it to a certain level that they've then reached live, and it's. Um, it's just, I think it's just one of that means there's anything wrong with the studio version. I just, not that Tom was suggesting that, but but it's just one of those tracks that's a better live song. I think it's as simple as that, really. It'd be kind of interesting to come back to this once the album has been released because we, we may well change our opinion based mm. on how it how it fits in with the, with the rest of the tracks because well, they, yeah. they have become quite the, the, they kind of helped resurrect the album. As, as 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 a full thing rather than just a collection of songs as it is with a lot of bands the album is, is almost like yeah. a coherent experience it certainly was the case with tranquility bass i thought yeah and and also it's it's like it's quite premature to kind of make a a thought on it as well because it's it's like when it was earlier this week i thought to myself i very much prefer mirrorball to body paint but then you've got that kind of thing of I've been listening to Mirrorball a lot over the past three, three or four weeks. Like, you know, I've probably listened to it maybe 30, 40 times already, if not more. Um, so maybe when Body Paint has that same kind of listening time, I'll, I'll change my mind on it. So it is premature to say that. But I just think it's quite simple. And I know Tom was referencing his gig at Brooklyn um, as well. So maybe there's, there is something to it. And I think he's probably right. The live version is better, but they just did a great performance of it on Jimmy Fallon and it, it for me and it just really knocked the studio out of the park but but yeah like you say we'll see as time goes by and some songs just are there's there's some famous songs in history that that are performed better than the studio track like um Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash is probably one of the most famous ones for that where the the studio track is kind of like meh but the live version was um superb um Trouble by Elvis Twist and Shout by the Beatles, um, Nirvana about a girl, Every Kiss song <laughs> ever, maybe. No Woman, No Cry, Bob Marley is another and um, one that you all appreciate. Seven Nation Army is a lot better live. Um, I've never seen them live, but I understand it's a lot better live than the studio track. I'll be honest, I'd, I'd be quite happy to never hear Seven Nation Army again. And I'm just... just... Just putting that out there. No, it's, it's not relevant to what we're doing here every week. But I, I'd, I'd be quite happy. Now. But I, yeah, <laughs> I, I do agree with you. It, it, it is, and you, you kind of, particularly with Seven Nation Army, you kind of get these flourishes live that you don't tend to get on the on the studio version. Particularly when Jack White plays it now, because Jack White's big thing is kind of mix it, mixing it mm. up a bit. So he'll, he'll put new spins on. On the old songs, but yeah, back back to back to body paint though. The thing the thing that disappointed me the most was the the fade out. I I, I much enjoyed the mm. actual ending of the Jimmy Fallon version. I've, I've never been a big fan of a of a fade out on a song. It's not going to ruin the track for me. I still love it to bits. <laughs> no, you always feel time, like you... Yeah. <laughs> no, you you always feel like you've lost out on something when a track fades out. I think. 
Um, you always feel like that there could have been an end in there that you wanted. But uh, yeah, I think there was an Arctic Monkeys one on Tranquility Base that maybe faded out and I wanted an end. I can't, I can't think what it is now. But but um, yeah, it's yeah. I, th- I think it, it's Tom's absolutely spot on that right now it's it's better live. And the live version I've seen, I would rather have that in than some kind of audio format for me to listen to than the studio one. But at the same time, much as to what you said, it's early days. Let's see what happens when the album's out and whether we grow in appreciation of that song. But if it turns out it is just a better live song, then it is just a better live song and all the more reason to go and see them when you yes. can. Yes. Yeah, make makes you makes you a lot more excited. But but, but, but we I will know say, that wherever we're going to see them, it's not going to match up to Brooklyn. <laughs> it's the worry. <laughs> buddy tom friend of the show as he'll be called from now on tom yeah um but you know it's um yeah i think it is it's just one of those things isn't it i think it's it was a great performance they were enjoying themselves first time on tv for years really put everything into that performance and, and they've been rehearsing it and it, it's fantastic and the brooklyn gig as well was just fans wasn't it so it's it's one of them but yeah i, I think it's i still think it's a, i really enjoy it as a track i'm looking forward to listening to do it loads more it's very bowie don't want to get too much into it because we will cover it eventually obviously but solid tune but <laughs> yeah he's right um i did just want to address before we move on and you know i'm not having a go at anyone or anything like that um but, you know there's people that obviously don't like the new style of music and that, that's absolutely fine everyone's entitled to their opinion and I, I don't particularly mind if you don't want to listen to it but there's this kind of section and it is a small section of the fans that like to kind of talk about this this idea that alex is holding the rest of the band hostage since tranquility base and kind of writing these songs and and they're kind of forced to go into this style of music that alex doesn't want to be and held as is like in on a leash or whatever but i think it's important to kind of remember that you know we all love this band and we don't there's no way that that is true <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination you know it's well pub- documented and publicized that alex didn't want to released tranquility base with the band he thought it was a solo and it was the band that convinced him to to do it with them on a journey and they're all kind of but they're best friends for they've been best friends the whole lives they learned together they're they're all successful musicians helders is off working with lady gaga and people i don't think he needs to be if he didn't want to do it i don't see any reason why he'd be doing it and and sort of go turn to alex so i i, I just think it's just a silly thing to talk about and it's just let's not try and drag the mood down well if you, if you don't like yeah. the music fair enough but let's not try and make out there's some kind of rift in the band or whatever i remember when alex did last shadow puppets there was a big thing then that people were saying that they were gonna split up and the other band weren't happy because he was off with miles and it's just it's just not the way they operate no that, that that's ex- that's exactly it it's you don't tend to hear that with other bands like when they when, when radiohead like change the sound for every album you, you don't get these theories that the rest of the band <laughs> must be hating it and stuff. It just it just seems to be an Arctic Monkeys thing. I think it's because the change is so drastic. But then, I mean, you know, if you yeah, you're quite right. Because if you look at Radiohead, if you look at OK Computer to Kid A, there is a huge change in musical sound there. So at the time, you know, you'd think that would be strange for the fans. But but um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's just people are a bit precious. But and it's fine if if you're annoyed by the change in the music or you don't like it, then you know everyone's entitled to opinion. Like I always say, it's conjecture. But let's not try and create silly rumors that the vander <laughs> and sort of like that are all st- like it's you know kind of forced to do this musical talent and stuff like that it makes no sense but yes i don't I didn't want to get too serious but i just wanted to address it because i just think we all we should all get along why can't we all just get along as alex would say <laughs> of course oh, because, baby. yeah 
Yeah, we've had some great feedback, as you just referenced. Good old Tom in Brooklyn. Friend of the show, Tom yeah, 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 he's the first the official show. friend of the show. Um, and um, yeah, we I'm very excited because we're going to be talking about a, a classic, not just an Arctic Monkeys classic, but an actual classic song, you could probably say, that will probably be played on the radio and through the halls for a long time. Um, and of course, that song is uh, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. It is indeed. And I think before we uh, delve deep into that, as you said, an absolute indie classic, we we should play our uh, copyright allowed 30 second clip, shouldn't we? So that clip was taken from later with Jules Holland on the 28th of October 2005, where they featured alongside Loste Abajo, Milo, Joseph Arthur, Liz Wright, and of course, Miss Dynamite, as the Miss Dynamite might have noticed, and as you noticed as well. So that's probably the uh, best best time of all. That's a good way of getting around the uh, copyright as well by not picking the studio version. I think I might have fooled the algorithms there. Take that algorithm, <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> we hope. Don't talk we them. hope. Don't talk the yeah, algorithms. Yeah, that's, that's it. There'll be a knock at the door any minute now. <laughs> so without further ado, we will head over to the part of the show that we are imaginatively titling the Information Action Radio. The I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor is the band's first single from their debut studio album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. It debuted at number one on the UK Singles Chart on the 23rd of October 2005 and remains one of the band's best-known songs in the UK. It is a quick 2 minutes 53, or 4, depending what platform you're using. It has 315.4 million Spotify streams and is 204 beats per minute. The track was again produced by Jim Abyss, but Nick, I have some rather interesting developments here. Okay, you ready? You ready? I can now reveal that further involved in the production, expanding on last week's research, if you recall, there was a Barney that was involved in the View from the Afternoon production. Well, he is actually Simon Barney Barnacott. So Simon Barnacott, Barney to his friends and to us. And he was responsible for the mixing and um, we've got Ewan Davies on recording again and Owen Skinner as the mixing assistant. But I'm glad we were able to expand on good old Barney and get his full name in there in case he was furious last week when he when he listened in. I just about I was assuming he was called Barney. Um, it took three studio attempts to get the song right. First, it was demoed with producer Alan Smythe, as we discussed um, previously. Then came a version recorded at 300 miles an hour as quoted by Alex, with James Ford and Rich Costley. So good to know that James Ford was involved in the first album at some point. Finally, with Jim Abyss at the recording desk, they got the keeper. Um, Alex said it was strange because the live recording for the video was already out there and completely different in sound to the studio track. 
We were trying to cut this single in one room and it was on the telly in the other, Alex Turner told NME in 2014. The video is a live recording of the band playing the song in a studio with a small audience watching with both the video and audio taken live. Alex Turner introduces the band and the song asks viewers not to believe the hype. That's the name of the show. The video was shot using free Ike Gamey, Ike Gamey, Ike Gammy. At Gamey, at Gammy, I don't know. Let's call the whole thing off. At Gamey, free tube color television cameras from the 1980s to give it a more aged effects. In an interview with Prefix Magazine, the Arctic Monkeys explained the story behind their video for this song. We had a program in England called the Old Grey Whistle Test from the 70s and 80s. It was a live show that a lot of great bands played on. We all liked watching the program from DVD, and then we just tried to recreate that. We were going to do it full on and get the guy who used to introduce the bands in the beginning and go for that sort of thing so that it looked like a British 70s music show. Use the same cameras they used to use and whatnot and go for an old look. The single cover featured a bored looking teenage girl working as a cashier in a supermarket. Perhaps somebody you might think would look good on the dance floor as you picked up some milk and bread. The model in question is actually Jessie May Cuff, who was a teenager when she was approached by a Liverpool-based design company named Juno on a night out. I had snuck out with my mates to Liverpool, age 16. We were in a bar called Bumper when the design company took a snap of me and asked for my contact details. Bit creepy. I got a call to come in and meet the team, and then I was asked to do the shoot with another girl. Luckily, the band picked my picture. I first met the band at the Ritz in Manchester. At the time, they were just typical 19 to 20-year-old lads winding me up and moaning at me for playing the single over and over again through their speakers because they were sick of hearing it. Uh, The song charted at number 18 in Australia, number 17 in Belgium's Ultra Top 50, uh, number 12 in Canada's Rock Top 30, number 15 in Denmark, number 7 in Europe, number 100 in France, boo, not a fan, uh, number 12 in Ireland, number 99 in Netherlands, boo again to the Dutch, 14 New Zealand, number one in the UK, number one in the UK indie chart, and number seven in the US alternative airplay billboard charts. Other new entries in the UK singles chart that week that Dance Floor went to number one, including Pete Doherty's collaboration with the Little Uns, Their Way, which was new in at number 22. I knew Nick would be a fan of that one. Uh, McFly had the second highest new entry, reaching number three with I Want to Hold You. I remember at the time being very happy that they kept McFly from the top spot. Um, <laughs> Sugar Babes, The Vines, and excruciatingly, Tom Jones have all covered this track. If you haven't heard the Tom Jones cover, then go listen. It's a real treat. Last year, comedian Bill Bailey joined them performing an ad hoc version in the style of the Wurzels for NME.com, which is also a treat, but in a good way, because we all love Bill. Now, this brings me to a very exciting part of the show, which is a segment that we've not had the pleasure of doing before. Um, in this segment, I will ask Mr. Nicholas Lee the third to give me a, um, I'd say an estimate, but I'll say a guess, of how many tracks were sold how many digital copies of this song were sold in the united kingdom we'll stick to the uk for the time being until we get to like am where it becomes relevant to <laughs> include the us probably but this this little game if you will this segment has a very exciting and imaginative title that we came up with which nick is you could say they're selling like ghost cookies ah, you know, <laughs> do, so do you long. know how long i've waited to use that jingle man <laughs> you, you oh you i've been hearing it <laughs> but it, when it I'm has, in bed at night. did in, did anticipation have to have it to set you up for disappointment in evening jingles but Nick, <laughs> or was it all worth it? Often it? Does. I think I think you should play it just one more time. Just one more time. For the hard of hearing <laughs> listeners, that that segment is called. You could say they're selling like ghost cookies. I've never tired of that. Never tired of that. <laughs> 
So, Nick, would you like to to run a, a guess, a guesstimate, to how many um, singles were sold in the UK of this track? This is a tough one because when this went to number one and I was obsessed with it, I remember my mum seeing it on the news, how many copies it had sold. And I remember me, distinctly my mum remarking, oh, you don't have to sell many records to get to number one these days, mm. not like the old days. So I'm I'm going to take a punt mm-hmm. at 120,000. No, not close. Uh, your mum's point still stands, I would probably say, but it it they um, sold 1.8 million records. What? That's well, bonkers. That's what it says here. Now, it went three times platinum. I don't know when the cutoff for this figure was, though. So, you know, uh, it's hard to find out, like, if we're, 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 how long it was created for before it was cut off. But I'm going to stick to it and just say that's how many it sold is <laughs> 1.8 million. That, that's what the figure says. Three times platinum, 1.8 million. I don't know how much it sold in that first week. Maybe for next time, I'll, I'll double check that. But uh, but to be fair, before, after that, sorry, in the old days, we probably even had to sell a lot more than that to get to number one, I would have imagined, before there was other things to do. But yeah, apparently 1.8 million um, singles, three times platinum. Yeah, so uh, 1.8 million there. Um, now this takes me up to our review segment of the show. On the 23rd of February 2006, the track won Best Track at the 2006 NME Awards, one of three awards won by Arctic Monkeys. In October 2011, NME placed at number 11 on its list of 150 best tracks of the past 15 years. It was later ranked 7th on their list of the 500 greatest tracks of all time, with NME noting that the song is the perfect encapsulation of what it is to be young, pissed, lusty, angry and skint in modern day Britain. NME's Mike Sterry said at the time, for all those Libs fans out there for whom Fuck Forever was the final straw, look to Sheffield's Arctic Monkeys, the perfect combination of unfettered youth and relative sobriety. Enemy have since said, one of the standouts from their much-downloaded Beneath the Ballwalk demo tape, I bet you look good on the dance floor, managed to do the impossible by sounding both fresh and unique at a time when guitar pans were ten a penny. The Strokes, The White Stripes, Franz Ferdinand and Block Party all ruled the roost at the time of its release, but Dance Floor instantly opened a huge creative chasm between its creators and everybody else. The general public agreed, sending it to the top of the UK singles chart instantly, a feat that none of the aforementioned acts ever managed to achieve, despite having mountains of record label cash, press and hype on their side. It's also one of the simplest songs Turner has ever written, primarily taking shape in Arctic Monkey's Sheffield rehearsal room in mid-2004 and relying on Irony of Ironies, a series of descending US-influenced pop-punk chords. Matt Helder's machine gun drum roll sowed the seed initially, becoming the perfect foundation for Turner's exhilarating guitar solo, which he played at breakneck speed three times, just in case you didn't quite catch it. Lyrically, it's still among his most remarkable achievements, confrontational, bitter, and deftly sarcastic in its depiction of a snarly young tyke getting a nightclub brush off. It heralded a major new songwriting talent and its opening six lines alone. In hindsight, the competition may as well have just given up. It's still the bollocks for anyone who likes fun on a Friday night and prefers the Stones style of R&B to Rihanna's. Now, it does have a famous fan of this song who gave it a review. Okay, so once P. Diddy was spotted in a um, New York nightclub in the mosh pit with fans dancing to dance floor. And when asked by a journalist in the club to comment, he said, I am probably the biggest Arctic Monkeys fan. We're having a bromance. I am part of the crew. I'm part of the entourage. So if you all fuck with the Arctic Monkeys, then you all got to fuck with me. Now, we do also have some uh, negative reviews, unfortunately. 
former Depeche Mode man. Yeah, no. Former Depeche Mode man, Alan Wilder, who, who in 2008 said the song's production amounted to a bombardment of the most unsubtle one-dimensional noise. Perhaps he prefers the sound of silence, Nick. Oh, oh. Depeche Mode joke for everyone there. <laughs> Clip that off and send it to him. Now, there was also a negative comment from... <laughs> there was also a negative comment from Alex as well. He said, it's a bit shit. The words are rubbish. I scraped the bottom of the barrel. It could be a big song like, but I hate to be just known for that song because it's a bit crap. He does appear to have changed his opinion as in 2011, he stated he could never imagine not playing it live. And that brings me to the end of the reviews. And we can start chatting about this absolute tune is what I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, having said that, actually, no, I was was just going to say it's funny because it's one of those songs that you kind of maybe take for granted or like Alex says, it's a bit shit. It's the famous song. It's the track. It's like that track that every band has that the fans kind of reject, like like, like Creep by Radiohead, you know, there's those kind of um, tracks that the fans kind of go, yeah, this isn't who they are. But listening to it this week, it's still just a great tune. It still just gets me in the mood for a little dance and gets me going. If I'm, you know, walking the dog, listening to it this week, I was on a little, if no one was around in the dark, I was on a little jab in the middle of the street. Um, it's just a great song. Yeah, that's it. Because, I mean, we alluded to it on the Boardwalk episode a couple of weeks ago, but it was just so quick how it happened. I mean, about a week before, I'd heard it for the first time and then kind of listened to the, carried on listening to Beneath the Boardwalk, but kind of put it, I didn't, have any inkling that it would go on to be as big. I certainly didn't think it would go to number one with no PR, no promotion or anything. Mm-hmm. For it to, I, I think it's, it's easy to forget with, with how quick songs kind of go to number one and then disappear these days, especially with stuff you've never heard of. For, for that to happen was just such a watershed in music, the whole, the whole DIY punk aesthetic, and it kicked, it kicked off a whole movement of bands using, I mean, yeah. the ironic thing is that, as we know, they didn't specifically use the internet. It was the fans who did it with the CDs that were passed to them, the Beneath the Boardwalk demos. It was just astonishing to see, see it just, just go to number one. And then a couple of nights later, they were on Later with Jules Holland, like p- performing it. I'd, I can't, yeah. You kind of got sense with that episode of Later with Jules Holland that they were on there as like conquering mm-hmm. heroes. It was it was almost like a, an us and them thing, like in the audience. The audience are almost thinking, "Yeah, this this, this is it. These are doing it for us here. This is this is a victory for DIY proper punky music." And it was just absolutely fantastic to something like that going from one. It was just so fresh, so excited. I mean, you, you mentioned the Libertines earlier, and I, I still remember how heartbroken I was when "Can't Stand Me Now." was beaten to number one by Baby Cakes by Three of a Kind. <laughs> for, for our listeners in the States and in South America, hola, uh, for those listeners there, if you want to search for Baby Cakes by Three of a Kind, don't. Just don't. Just, just leave no. it. Your ears will feel better. It goes a little bit of something like... Um, it goes a little something like <laughs> this... Uh, Baby cakes, you just don't know, know how I, I have found love. And it, it is that bad. You may think that I'm doing a bad performance of it, but it is actually that bad. I think my, that was better. That was, that was better than the original, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but no, but to be fair, Baby Cakes was also, a, a, you know, a real punk and success for the people on the street and as well. <laughs> when they I remember when they performed that on um, 
SMTV Live. It was a real triumph. <laughs> of... <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, you're right. It's um, it really was just a moment. It was just part of the moment. We keep talking about these moments with this album and and the early uh, uh, the early um, kind of era. But but this was the this was one of the defining moments of that for sure, which is why we, we used what he said at the start of the video as the title, as we said last week, you know, it was just, it was all the beginning and it really just, yeah, changed the whole landscape of British music. I, I don't think it would be, it would be um, wrong to say as a, as a moment, but, um, but yeah, so should we start? We kind of like, we tend to with the music discussion before the, the lyrics, um, you know, I, I, still think the opening the the <laughs> the solo is still perfect for this song like it's not one of the best solos it's not it's not even really like a solo it's like used about three times but it's it's not like some kind of technically incredible solo but it's still absolutely perfect for this this tune and it gets you so excited hearing it and you just want it's kind of one of those um you know the moment in are you mine when he um air guitars the song in the video that's also what this this solo does to you i think this in this video yeah that that's absolutely it it's it's almost an assault on the senses straight away people who who know the shit would describe it as an assault on the senses in a good way not like your man from depeche mode <laughs> that's the, that's the phrase he's looking for assault on the senses cuz straight away you, you hear you hear that opening two or three even before the the solo comes in you hear it and straight away you you set up you're sat up taking notice. Yeah. Don't dwell on, on the Depeche Mode man. He got burned by me. He got the takedown by yeah. me and my joke. So I'm sure he'll be sat at home with a little bit of um, Simon and Garth, Uncle. Um, Hello, darkness, my old friend. After hearing that, um, realising the, <laughs> the error of his ways. So, uh, yeah, he got he got it. But, yeah, no, it, that's like I said, that solo. And, and every time it comes in, there's also a moment in the video that always stands in my head where at the start, when I, it's either at the start or... Or the second time they do it when Alex is playing it and he kind of turns with the guitar and as he you know the bit when before it changes into the kind of pop punky chords the doom 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 he the guitar goes like like that and he kind of holds it with his mouth he turns with his mouth open and, and he's like like doing a guy doesn't really translate into a podcast me just making a face but anyone hopefully will know what I'm talking about or there like he kind of opens his mouth and gets really into it and I always just I always wanted to kind of do that on stage like that would be so cool that moment um but speaking of the chords actually I said pop punk chords and I think I think they are actually they're a sequence of pop punk chords like you kind of blink 182s that kind of variant that a band like that would kill to write I think like that, just that kind of ding, 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 ding. It's such a catchy. And I think this is why people that don't like anti-monkeys or see them as kind of a commercial band more so. It's because of this song probably being quite poppy. I think the, the guitar's quite poppy and catchy. The Helder's drums are really poppy in this. It's probably the poppiest drums that Helder's has ever done, I'd say. They're just really like that kind of poppy beat to it. It's just a great pop song as well. I just think it is. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. The Beatles made early career a living of pop being a pop band really didn't they pop songs so there's nothing wrong with that yeah and, and where are the beatles now hey? where are they, <laughs> they redeemed themselves with the weirdest yeah. stuff i think that's what made them famous but they did the pop <laughs> stuff at the start we don't have that yeah, yeah yeah the band that wings could have been you beat me to it you beat me to it <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i think yeah really kind of punky you've already kind of said that but that kind of yeah that i think i think there was something last week used to describe you from the afternoon that was jagged guitars well if that was kind of jagged guitars and this was like punky guitars um poppy guitars wasn't it that the beat that you can remember it it is a very simple song 
all around, really. But what I think what seems simple is you isn't. Do you know what I mean? It's like it looks simple to do that kind of thing, but it's it's so difficult to get it right and not be shit. As as we keep alluding to, so many bands have failed, and we tried to do as well. <laughs> in our well band, and it's not as easy as it looks. That's it. Like n- nearly. Well, like 17, 18 years on, we're saying it's quite a simple song. But it, it kind of reminds me the same way like, during the whole lockdown period. I know a lot, like, that was around the time that Friends got put on Netflix. And a lot of people were watching, a lot mm-hmm. of younger people were watching Friends for the first time and saying, well, th- this is shit. This is, this is no different to mm-hmm. any other sitcom. But kind of what they, what they forget with Friends is that it sort of paved the way for all the stuff that's saturating the market now. But a lot of the stuff on there, Friends was the first one to do it. But when you've when you've grown up watching yeah, Big Bang yeah. Theory and other shit like that, then Friends is going to seem kind of outdated. And it's a similar thing, similar thing with this song, I think. The, the market became so saturated with people imitating it that the original doesn't seem quite as special. Then it makes it seem a lot a lot more simple. But at the time, it was so so groundbreaking. Yeah, no, that's true, and it, it's that. Yeah, you're right about Friends and the whole thing there. It's completely comparable, and like we've, I always say with Friends, you know, Friends doesn't get enough credit for actually being as well written as it is, and it's not as easy to do that kind of thing as you say. Like, so I was recently trapped in a, um, <laughs> recently trapped in a, a cabin in Wales for a week with barely any internet connection, and the only thing on the telly was the Big Bang Theory in the day, and I'd never seen it before, but. It was dire. Sorry to any of you Grand Fairy fans out there, but it was so bad. I can't believe how bad it was. It shocked me about how poor it's it is. Terrible. Written. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe you escaped that cabin alive. To be honest, neither can I. Although this this um, this podcast was birthed in that cabin, actually, out of my um, boredom because the Arty Monkeys announced they were going to release an album and that's where these discussions began so we'll give it that um but yes we digress this is not the friends versus big bang theory podcast not that there would even be a competition Um, but uh if it was it would be a pretty short competition as far as i'm concerned the but yeah no this this song yeah it's 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 simple but you know you go back through history and look at every successful band's main hit poppy mainstream hit that they've had to get them there simple depeche mode for example okay Here's another comeback for you, Depeche Mode Man, as I say, not to dwell on it. Didn't they do, before they switched to all the kind of darky stuff, they also did like, didn't they? Just can't get enough. So let's not throw stones if you live in a glass house, mate. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's another song that's quite simple in it. And every band's got one, you know, and it's a hit. And, yeah, I think that's why Alex said that at the time because he kind of felt that way. But now he's more accepting of the song and they play it live because I think he realised it's just a great song to play. And I think when they kind of brought it back and they during the AM era, they seemed like they really enjoyed playing it and the whole ladies thing at the start and that. And uh, Oric Glastonbury doesn't he say this one's for you, for all the guys who didn't hold the hands up during Pretty Visitors. This one's for your girlfriend, ladies. And then clicks in like, yeah, having a bit of fun with it because it is a tune that'll just get you dancing and moving regardless of what you think. And I mean, we don't. Um, go like you know to the those kind of indie clubs anymore but i i have it on um good good authority that it's still an indie dance floor solid track that fills the dance floor and i think that that's because it as far as i remember from being back then it was a kind of perfect encapsulation of what it felt like to be kind of sweaty and desperate <laughs> but also just just i don't even think that's really what the song is about i think the song is more about just seeing a girl in a tesco or or out on the street and thinking you know you look on the dance floor and yeah, I think it's, it's, um, 
you know, but it's basically just a way of saying you look fit. I think you're, I think you look fit. <laughs> and he's just saying it in a different way, but yeah. But anyway, that, that's kind of moving on to the, the lyrics. But did you have anything else kind of on the, on the music side to it? I do actually. I have some statistics for you because you, you mentioned when, when you were talking about how, obviously, Alex said he can't, can't imagine not playing it. Although at the same time, they have talked about the earlier stuff and said they kind of don't feel it as much playing some of it because it feels like mm. it feels like they can't put the heart and soul into it because it's so long ago it's a different era which makes total yeah, sense yeah. A lot, a, they, they kind of get attacked for that but a lot of bands have i mean I, I don't know if you saw noel gallagher's glastonbury set this year but i've never seen someone so angry to be playing songs that made them millions of pounds <laughs> it was so but he even referenced it at the start of the set he's like right i'm going to play some new stuff and then I'll play Don't Look Back in Anger and all that shit. Um, so, <laughs> so stick, so stick around. <laughs> been looking on Setlist FM, and I have uh, oh. a, li- a list here of Arctic Monkeys' top five most played songs. Uh, number one, by some distance, is I Bet You'll Go to the Dance Floor, mm. played 780 times in total. Wow. Although I... I'd, I'd imagine it'd be more than that. This, this is just the stuff that's on Setlist FM. Do you want to hazard a guess at the other songs in the top five? Oh, this is a great. I mean, this is interesting. You kept this quiet. This is um, it's, ooh, it's exciting. And it's time like, to react. If I'd, like a... if I'd known <laughs> I was going to bring this to the table, I would have had the jingle ready. The uh, that sound means it's the end end of the round. Time for the bonus question. <laughs> and I did not have it ready, so I'm still expecting myself. Well, uh, no, this is exciting. Yeah, like a like a pig rolling his shit at the moment. But yeah, no, I, you know what? I'm not. I think setlist.com is pretty reliable to be honest they have like so you look up any set list from years ago and it's, it's still on there i'm i was just when you said the number of from dance floor i was just thinking like did it ever actually go out of the set if it did it must have been very briefly because i think i've heard it every time i've seen them and I've, I've seen it on every performance i've seen so um i don't know how i don't know if it ever dipped out of the gigs but what do you think yeah, of so the, the other, other four songs in that top five mm, the other four okay Okay. You see, what I'm thinking is that the AM tour was huge. They toured for like 18 months. So uh, I'm going to say, Are You Mine is one of them. And that'll give me an idea of how wrong I am. Nothing Nothing from from AM. AM Because they toured that for the longest they've ever toured, didn't they? That's why they took a long break after, because they toured it for years. But uh, I think give it it a couple of years. A couple of years, and Are You Mine and Do A What I Know will be in there, I think. Uh, Okay, okay. So we're going before that. Well, if if we're going before that, then we've got to go Brian Storm. That is in second place with 625, ah. which is a whopping 155 Ooh. times less than Dance Floor. Well, that's because they probably played 105 gigs before they released Favourite Worst Nightmare, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to sound like a detective, but... Um, <laughs> my wife loves you. But, um, no, um, I... I'm gonna say so if we if if they're the top ones because Brian Storm as, as well has never come out of the set I don't think since since it entered it uh, I kind of want to say View from the Afternoon because it it came out and came back in and it's always sort of been there or that about that is like uh, up, yeah that's third third place with 548 I'm getting them in order that's that's I'm impressed with myself <sighs> it's difficult because there's, Marty Bum was not much there difference for a long time. between four and five yes they they were but that yeah. You can uh, stop barking up the Mardi but, Bum tree because that's not on there. I can I, okay. So uh, um, okay, I'm just trying to think. Oh, um, five oh five. It's got to be in there. That's that's always been it. No, wow, that's shocking. There is a song. Another song from that album is in fifth from, place though. It's not fluorescent, is it? Fluorescent adolescent. 
509. Yeah. yeah, that's that's in fifth. So you, you're just missing. Okay, so four, so four's a humble cornerstone. Your favorite cornerstone. No, but you're, you're in the 521. Crying lightning. Yeah. Crying lightning. I was yeah. gonna say crying lightning, but then uh, I thought of, of cornerstone. Oh, well, so so a bit of the dance floor, Brian Storm, V from the afternoon, crying lightning, flourishing adolescent. They're the most played songs by monkeys at gigs. Yeah, interesting. Then, interesting. I think for... I'll, I'll round. I'll round off the rest of the top ten from from six to ten. It is still take you home. Do me a favor. When the sun goes down, pretty visitors and dancing shoes. And five oh five is in there at number eleven. So Ooh, I'm surprised it's still take you home. Made that I get. I mean, I guess still take you home's in there because of is this including all the gigs that they did for the first album, maybe before it as well, before it was released and stuff. Yeah, Still Take You Home hasn't been in there since... No, actually, didn't they? They brought it back and they did a really cool breakdown for Still Take You Home, I'm sure, at one point. They did indeed, um, when yeah. They do one of their yeah, yeah. I always preferred the, the newer breakdown. After hearing it, I could never hear it again. Do you ever, actually, on a side note that people might find interesting is I'm one of those people who was so obsessed that when I go and see them live... I'll sing a lyric that Alex has changed live to the actual studio track and everyone else will sing a different lyric to me, but I'll change it. You know, like um, certain romance one, he changes. I can't remember what it is now, but he changes it live to a different line, but I'll do it and no one else will sing it. It'll just be me singing the one line. And it looks like I've got it wrong. That's the annoying thing. Well, mate, at Old Trafford next summer, you'll have one person singing it with you. And it'll, oh, it'll, oh, be, our, it'll be our mate from Brooklyn. And it'll be... I was just going to say, I'll be Tom from Brooklyn. He's surely going to fly over. You can stay with us. You come yeah. and I stay. I can't get that line. I get wrong again. You're going to get this limit right this week. Uh, nah. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's even worse. I can't remember it at all. Uh, right. Uh, one day. One day. When we get to it. Maybe I'll learn it. Um, but yeah, no. So the, to go back, that was that was a great addition to the, to the podcast. I'm sure people will be really um, chuffed. To hear that for any listeners not from the UK, chuffed is or from the north. Chuffed is is slang for happy and excitable. Yeah, yeah no, so the kind of yeah. So musically, I just think it, it it's in your face. The, the it's it's perfect. The drums are poppy. The bass is really catchy as well. It's good. To give Andy Nicholson some duo. This is like a really good bass line as well. And um, to go along it, he kind he kind of does this. The thing with the bass is, I think one of the things that made them quite distinctive in this album is that the bass is kind of like bass. It's in the same vein of the Stone Roses, I'd say. The bass, it's kind of like those kind of bass, but um, kind of bass that you don't hear a lot of. You don't hear those kind of bass rhythms or the way they're playing it like a lot, but they're really good. Or oh, the Pixies as well. We'll give them their due as well. And um, Pixies, Stone Roses, stuff like that. I, I kind of think it's like. But yeah, no, I just think it's got it's got everything to be a perfect pop song, which is why it's shot into number one. I think it is probably the song. Well, I don't think you know this about me, but I like to uh, slap a bass every now and again, and um, yeah. this is probably this is probably my my favourite song to play along with. I think, yeah, really, and I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned Pixies as well because they're quite high on that list as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, great, it's, great bass. A lot of the time, you'd think it's. Especially with with this song in particular, you think the bass isn't there, but then when it is there, oh, it's fucking there, mate! It mm. is there. Yeah, yeah really good bass. You can see in the video if you if anybody watches the video and watches Andy playing, it's quite a, a rapid bass line to to watch. Um, and I think that the bass is really good on this album. And I know obviously the parts, and we move to Nick, who I do think is a 
superior force for the not not the better but just for the progression and the way they went he needed to be the base player i think but yeah it's it's just a really great um really great great baseline yes and then jamie give jamie i've mentioned jamie but jamie's like kind of he's doing the cards that i've mentioned there to be fair the pop punk cards he's doing that for most of it as well so they all have a nice little little bit in this don't they um everyone's shy but yeah everyone's shining but i think to to kind of move on because musically there's it it's it is what it is isn't it we know what it is we know it's an exciting tune but lyrically there's quite a little bit more to talk about i'd say this one do you have any initial thoughts on the lyrics i absolutely love it i i just you you don't know where to start with it because it's it is quite it kind of in a way it reminds you of the the type of thing you'd write when you're 15, 16 at school and they make mm. you write a poem or something. I on the face of it. But but then you you kind of delve into it and you and you just think yeah yeah no I, no you, you couldn't do this at the age uh, as a school project at the age of 15 or 16 there's so, <laughs> there's so much more to it than that. And again it they kind of start this something that I'm really into with another band who People in the UK will possibly know of them, but the South American and um, Central American crowd won't have a clue. A band called Half Man, Half Biscuit, <laughs> who are kind of... Really... I was waiting for you to throw a Half Man, Half Biscuit plug into the podcast. <laughs> they're, just, they're just purely based around pop culture references, and we see that. And it's the same... John Cooper Clark is another one who, mm. who does that type of thing. And it's the same here in particular with the Duran Duran Reference. We've gone to Pesh Mode. Yes, of course. And now for, we're going for anyone... to Duran Duran. <laughs> it's an 80s fest. We love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so for anyone, that, um, for anyone that doesn't know, and I'm sure they do, but for anyone that might know, there might be some people that don't know, um, our younger listeners, there's a reference... Which, uh, sorry, that sounds really insulting to the younger generation. I'm sure are way up on the, on the 80s. I don't want to sound like that curmudgeon old man. But um, In, in so my I'm head, sure I'm know, still the younger generation. Artist. I know. I, re- I referred to someone the other day as a young person, and I felt all weird. And I was like, <laughs> when was that? Why am I? I, said, I turned to my girlfriend and said... Why am I not the young person anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's but I think but I think that'll be fine because I know I, most old people I know still refer to other old people as old people. So I think <laughs> you must always feel young. But no, so there's a Duran Duran reference in this, which of course is Nick. Well, in the original version, your name isn't Rio and I don't care for sand, which was later on changed to the name isn't Rio. Sand and lights. Don't, but don't but like I don't care the for sand. sand and light. So don't like the sound of lights. Yeah. Um, is that is that with the original version you're talking about the beneath the boardwalk version? Uh, no, and, and the album, this version, the album version as well. It's don't care for sound. Oh and right. Later on, when they played it live, it changed. Oh, to, I sorry, think sorry. At, at, at the Olympics in 2012, the Olympic well ceremony now. in 2012, that that was don't. Yeah, that that they, they changed it then. The, the, I don't, yeah, so it might, it might have been around the stuck it and see era that they changed it. But I will, I will check up on that. Right, right. I'm so kind of um, used to the live version now that maybe I've just merged them in my head as as being the same thing. But um, no, to to kind of yeah, that was obviously a Duran and there is another Duran Duran reference to discuss in a future episode. We won't spoil that there. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a reference to the song Rio by Duran Duran, where the singer I was going to say Andrew. No, what was the Duran Duran singer called? I get it wrong. Simon Lebon. 
Simon Le Bon or Simon the Good <laughs> in French. Um, it's <laughs> it's a song called Rio, and he says um, her name is Rio, and she loves the sand and lights. She, she dances. She dances on the sand. She dances on the sand and lights. Yeah. So cool little reference there. It kind of um, it was it kind of works in this song as a reference for some reason. I think it's it's because it's that's quite a musically like kind of a poppy dancey song and so is this and it's and that yeah it just kind of, and also the lyric obviously is is a great lyric because he, he's basically saying that she's likes to dance the girl and she's attractive which is what that that song's about um so perfect little it's not just a reference for a, you know songs that just have a, a reference for reference sake and there's nothing really witty about it it's still quite a witty reference in there did you know by the way that the title um, and I don't know if this is verified, but it's interesting. In the film Saturday Night Fever, I'm starring John Travolta, which is a film about a hero trying to impress a female club goer of his pickup lines. Sound familiar? He's, there's a famous line from that film where he says, are you as good in bed as you are on the dance floor? And some people think that Alex is perhaps referencing that line in the film for this song. Not sure not if I buy it, but me. I wouldn't put it past him. Wouldn't put yeah. it past me. No, it wouldn't surprise me. No, at all. Quite a famous film. I can imagine him watching that. It's quite a quite a good film, actually. So yeah, that is an interesting one. And also, so there's the line "Dancing Like a Robot" from 1984, which is a reference to. Do you remember the cheeky chat we discussed last week, John McClure from Revenant and the Makers? Well, in 2001, he formed the band Judan Suki. <laughs> which That's included right, yeah. Alex Turner, included Alex Turner, whom he'd met on a bus. Not what, which is possibly the most Northern way to meet someone that you're going to be in a band with I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Not long after Turner formed the Arctic monkeys. I don't know why I said that, but that's, <laughs> we know that. <laughs> the two late, <laughs> did he? The two later became flatmates and John McClure, um, after, um, achieving his own chart success in the UK with his band Revenant and the Makers. Apparently, he's known for his questionable dance moves, and he likes to do a robot when he dances on the dance floor. So the line, dancing like a robot from that inning four, is, is Alex referencing a joke, in-joke, that all their friends had about John McClure and the way he danced, which I think is quite interesting, because I was kind of wondered, like, I thought that line is, like, I was like, is he just referencing, like, a robot and a 1984 is it the book 1984 is the film i was like what's the reference here is he is he um referencing a dystopian state i don't know <laughs> but which he which he does do in from rich to the rubble so uh <laughs> it wouldn't put it wouldn't put it past him well a couple of things well well i'm glad you've mentioned john mcclure because of, of course we, we didn't get that we've not got on to mention it yet but john mcclure's brother chris is of course the cover star of the album yes. we're we're discussing at the moment, he's he's on the cover of whatever people say, and that's what not. And an, another little story I heard from another podcast because as much as people love this podcast, there are other podcasts out there. But if you do don't love lie, this podcast, well, well, I'm on it. If you do love this podcast, please follow <laughs> us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Arctic Podcast, or get in touch as Tom from Brooklyn very kindly did. He's loving this. I mean, no one else is enjoying the show. Oh, but Tom from Brooklyn is delighted. He's 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 been mentioned more than Alex today. <laughs> he's um, he emailed <laughs> us. He emailed emailed us at arcticmonkeyspodcast at gmail and we appreciated it massively. Anyway, and if you want to be a friend the... of the show, if you want to be a friend of yeah, the show, yeah. get emailing. That, that's how you get in touch. Um, um, but yeah, I, 
for those who are familiar with the former footballer Peter Kraut, mm. uh, <laughs> for those who aren't familiar, he was six foot seven, which is quite tall. I'd, I'd say yeah, uh, freakish, freakishly tall. Uh, it's the same same you height. And, as, you and him have a similar. You and you and him have a similar height and gait. I would imagine. He's he's certainly my footballing hero. He's he's the same height as Steve Merchant. Another. I think I just really like tall people. But when when Peter Crouch <laughs> played for England and his, his he was famed for his goal celebration, which was doing the robot. And he tells a story on his his massively popular Peter Crouch podcast where he he actually went to see Arctic Monkeys. At, it would have been the O2 Arena in London, I think. And mm. at the at the point that Alex was singing about Dancing Like a Robot from 1984, Crouchy was actually doing the <laughs> robot. And basically, it got to the stage where basically the whole crowd were looking at Peter Crouch instead of looking at the band. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I, don't, I just like this idea of the band thinking, what's going on here? Like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. I'm, that's great. And I, also, to, to keep the football theme, it's... Um... Also recently found out that Chris McClure knows Sean Dyche. So, um, just so yeah, yeah. we'll do any more explaining on that story, just for people that know will know. But yeah, because we don't want to digress too much. No, yeah, we're getting a lot of celebrity fans in this week and and a few celebrity non-fans like uh, Duran Duran, man. Alan Wilder, was it? Can't remember. Um... At, the end of the, at the end of the day, man, who, who needs celebrity fans when you've got Tom from Brooklyn? That's that's what I've always said. Mm. Friend of the show, Tom from Brooklyn. Friend of the show, Tom from Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> we're making it sound like he's the only person who listened. But no, we had lots of people of messages. But, but yeah. no, no. To, to make it clear, we had a lot of just so people don't feel a lot of people put out. We had a lot of people messages, very nice messages. But Tom sent us quite an in-depth email and something that, that you'll already at this point have, have heard of Tom and his in-depth email before. So I'm sure you remember that, but he he, he gave us a food for thought, I'd say. So we, we're referencing him a little bit more, but we did get lots of kind messages, and unfortunately, we can't reference all of them. But um, yeah, but but if you yeah, if you want to send us some kind of question that you have or something for us to discuss on the show, then then feel free. You could become a, a friend too. Um, at, at, at the end of because uh, obviously this is series one. This is going to be covering the whatever people say, and that's what I'm not era. And at the end, we will be doing a wrap-up kind of podcast where we'll give our overall thoughts on the whole era, yep. on kind of where the, where the direction is going after that. And we will do a correspondence special where we will read out and react to your emails, yeah. tweets, messages. We're, we're keeping them all on file. Don't, don't worry about that. We've not forgotten anyone. Yeah, yeah, we will. And... Yeah, so and obviously just just to kind of clear up the references in this song, um, Montague and Capulets get a reference, which of course are the two uh, famous families from Billy Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Um, yeah, anyone that he, didn't Alex know was that, also educated by Shakespeare at school, by the sounds of it. Yeah, that, that, that hey, I tell you what, just kind of like, oh. no, 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 no. I'm going to counter that, my friend, because uh, what I was about to say before you uh, jumped in with your impetuous. Uh, comment was that um <laughs> was that well, at the time when the song came out i was doing my gcse exams for english literature in romeo and juliet and i was obsessed with romeo and juliet and i got an a star by the way in my oral exam there was two other people in that exam in my team who said no word during the entire exam and i carried them both to an a star and i just want to tell them i'm still bitter 
Johnny, Johnny, and Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but uh, um, yeah, still better. But yeah, I know it was strange, strange setup. But yeah, so we got an A star, and I was obsessed at the time. So to hear that lyric in there and and the kind of um, the reference to them was, was really cool for me at the time, um, which I think was another one of the things that made me kind of fall in love with with the band as quickly as I did. Um, was it was really relatable to me. So yes, like, I was. Not all of us were bored by English. Um, yeah, also, works I, I, as a good I reference as well. Shakespeare yeah. at school is just because I mean people tend to forget that Shakespeare wrote them to be performed. They were they were never meant to be just just read in a stifling hot classroom on a Thursday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is not yeah. how it was intended. True. No. That's my well, you got to perform it. it in your head, Nick. That's the trick. Perform it in your head. I do. I don't have enough of imagination um, for that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say as well with these lyrics that to kind of get onto them a bit more is that um I do find them really like self-deprecating again. He puts himself down a couple of times in these lyrics. Um he's snarky and arrogant. He really on this album toes a fine line between being arrogant and self-deprecating, which is something I think we can all relate to in the or I certainly can, that that I can be self-deprecating, but get a couple of drinks in me and maybe I can think I can pull somebody back in the day in fact years ago that i maybe couldn't and get angry about it if i couldn't but it's really this I've seen you, like, action, yeah. mate. you have seen me in action um unfortunately but uh so <laughs> and vice versa yeah yes let's not get into that there was plenty of plenty of good times self-deprecating snarky arrogant angry horny sexy punk aggressive and fun all rolled into one that's I'll, me I'll still what, describing the, uh... our nights. That's our nights out together. That's still me describing our nights oh, out together. I, I thought you were doing like a, a remake of Seven Dwarves or something. He's <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> the, the up-to-date Seven Dwarves. It's no way. I'm sure there is a film version of that available on all good porn websites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just stick in Cognito mode on first. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I just find it that this song, it's just got all those elements in it. And it's, that's why it kind of holds up, I think, is because even though, it, as we were saying before, it's a simple kind of poppy tune. But I think anybody that age now that hears that song will probably still have all those same emotions that we did then. And in another 20 years, um, the next generation will then still have those same feelings because they're things that are eternal. They don't go away. And that, that feeling on, on, on nights out and being young. So, yeah, just a perfect youthful song. Is what I'd say lyrically. Yeah. I'd go as far as to say it's our generation's teenage kicks. To be honest, I'd, I think it's it's got the. I think it's a very similar song in terms of very simple riff, completely goes for it, um, and simple lyrics that encapsulates being young and horny and shouting and that. And I, I think it is. I think it, it's, it's exactly the songs are completely comparable. Very much from the same same school of thought, aren't they? Absolutely. Which yeah, they played, really. as we learned 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 on the second episode that they played. Um, well, we learned that they played the undertones at um, their first gig ever at the Grapes. So I can only assume yeah. it was Teenage Kicks that they played. Yeah, yeah. They it's either that or Mars Bars. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Mars Bars, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, it's a simple lyric, but I think as well, it's completely relatable in that everyone's done that. I think when you go and you see someone out and you look at them and you think like, you know, oh, she's hot, you know, and that that, that line that didn't exist in your head before, but now does is, well, I bet she'd look, because you kind of think, oh, I bet she'd look nice made up and out is basically it isn't it you think oh, i bet she'd look great on a night out and instead it's i bet you look on the dance floor and yeah perfect way of saying it 
Do you know what? As well, I was listening to I was listening to the I went back and listened to the Beneath the Ball what version just to see if there was any difference in the in the song, and it was fairly similar to be honest. Just not as obviously well produced because it was it was done in a, a cheaper setup. No other real difference to it other than Alex sings it pretty differently to how it isn't as we know it. Um, his voice still seems sort of not matured or sound like his, like he's kind of putting a bit on. Of, a, of an accent like a kind of american singer still however that in the original which tends to happen with onside demos sort of done the, the drums are way more prominent in it because it's not been kind of mixed pro- as well so the drums are kind of like way more louder and in your face in it but it's a good it's a good little track if anyone hasn't heard it i'd go back and listen to it it's worth a listen but yes i think yeah i think it look it's one of those songs where there's there's not much to dig into like loads but it's just nice to have a little chat about it, I'd say. Helders is pretty cheeky in the video, isn't he? I like the cheeky Helders in the video of his little wink, wink at the camera. He's a cheeky drummer, isn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, He's he got is. his little plaid shirt on or whatever, and he's he's yeah. like, he doesn't even look like Helders, you know, at all really now. He's got his few sp- like acne on his face, his little yeah. little curly hair. Yeah, he's uh, ah, yeah, a little cheeky. I'll give him a little pinch on his cheek while he's playing the drums. A little, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You'll break some hearts one day. One of those, isn't it? They're breaking hearts with the efficiency that only youth can harness, I'd say. Oh, nice. Nice. Very nice. It's been a while since we, I say a while, last week, since we dropped a lyric. And we've probably done it this week as well. Yeah, I was thinking about the kind of the video and the obviously we use Don't Believe the Hype um, being kind of important mantra for the band. And, and that's why we used it. How premeditated do you think that was? Do you think it was on the day before they were setting up Alex Fort, I'm going to say, don't believe the hype because because it's an important thing to say because of everything that had led up to this point and how big the hype had been and how everyone was saying they were going to be the next band of a generation, they were going to be huge. And there's a lot of pressure in that. And I think saying it, it was kind of a way of releasing the pressure as well on themselves by saying that. Do you think it was something he just kind of off the cuff decided to say in his witty Yorkshire mind? Or do you think it was something beforehand they discussed? And he said, I might say this. I'm glad you brought that up because I think if I had if I had the opportunity to ask Alex one question, it might well be that, you know. It might well be what, what was the thought process. But you make a really interesting point as well about the, the pressure because it is, it's something that you, you see happen with footballers a lot where they'll have this tremendous pressure on them. Mm. They'll do well at the age of 17, 18. They'll have this tremendous pressure. They'll just be built up into like the next big thing. And a lot of them just fold under the pressure. Yeah. So, so for this band to just deal with that pressure so well was just. I mean, there's been plenty of bands that haven't. There's been plenty of bands since Arctic Monkeys that have been labelled as the next Arctic Monkeys or the next Libertines, and we've just not not seen them since. They folded yeah. under it. So that that is the one question I, I'd quite had. I'd love to ask guys, and he'd probably look at me like, "What are you asking me that for? <laughs> Why?" You he'd know probably I mean? sit back with us. I reckon he'd have a cigarette and he'd sit back and he'd go and he'd have a sleeve rolled up and he'd sit with his head in the air, looking up, holding the cigarette. And he'd go, I can't quite remember, but I think if I were to look back now at what I would have done at that age, I think it would have been quite premeditated in the sense that it was summing up everything we'd felt at that moment. And <laughs> I mean, that's the vibe of the answer you'd get from it. See, <laughs> I, I think, I think he'd, he'd, he'd do those same actions, 
and the same mannerisms, but I think he'd say, well, you know what, Nick, it's hard to describe it, really. Because he'd, he'd definitely call me by name, because oh. we know, he was calling interviews oh. by name. My my one was was it, you were in a um a formal setting, so you were interviewing him for if this was a podcast went like really well, and we were interviewing Alex Turner, <laughs> uh, and it was um, <laughs> and it was um it was you were asking him officially, and he was in the character of Alex. He'd 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 answer it in a more sort of obscure, thoughtfully paused way, where he'd be really contemplating it. And he'd basically not give you an answer, but somehow make you feel like he'd given you an answer, which is what he seems to do in every interview. Um, <laughs> thing that he does. But yeah, if you just asked him as a friend, he'd probably say, uh, yeah, I don't, he'd probably just go, oh, I don't remember. That were it. But uh, <laughs> I reckon it was, I reckon it was premeditated, but not too premeditated. I think it was on the day he thought, I'm going to say this. He said it because I feel like he chooses what he says quite clearly. I honestly believe that he kind of picks everything he says when he's on stage before he goes on. I think he already knows all the daft stuff he's going to say and do. I think he's that calculated as his with his character. The character. I've always of wondered Turner. that about like about bands and singers, like the stuff that. So when Robbie Williams is in rehearsals, do you reckon he just doesn't <laughs> bother singing half the song and just holds the microphone out for the whole of rehearsals? <laughs> If it's rude box, I hope so. But um, <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> yeah, yeah, I think no, I think I don't think he rehearses, does he? But um it's yeah, it's one of them yeah, I guess it's it's whether you, you want to go that they're just in the moment. I think it's probably a bit of both, you know, half and half. Sometimes in the yeah. moment and they'll say something, but definitely I'd say stuff like ladies and stuff. He's he's got but I also think they know the song so well. So you know like when we referenced him saying um, all the guys that didn't put their hands up during Pretty Visitors, this one's for your girlfriends. I can imagine while he's he's going singing Pretty Visitors, he's able, knows it so well that he's able to have a thought process as well as, like in my experience of being on stage and stuff, my, I just go into adrenaline mode and I don't have any kind of thought process really. But at their level, I reckon you still have time to think and he's probably looking at all the guys that aren't putting their hands up and he's probably kind of made that line up in his head as he's there. I would imagine. But yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, we could do a whole pod- podcast, which we, we might do at some point, of the character of Alex Turner, the many characters of Alex Turner, I'd say, um, era to era. But yeah, great, great song. Yeah, it's it's just, uh, as I said at the beginning, there's still no other way of saying it, it's an absolute tune. So Nick, I'll sort of ask you at this point, do you have a, a favourite lyric? in this song well what I'll do I'll play the favourite lyric jingle and then I'll tell you I'm going to leave you in suspense well I was hoping you would too busy with the mind on clever lines yeah great right go on ah, come on yes so we, we, no that's not my favourite bit <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I, I I really really like Dirty Dance Floors and Dreams of Naughtiness not just because Dirty Dance Floors was the name of so many club nights. Around. How ridiculous mm. was it getting hand, getting handed a little flyer or a pamphlet in town for some club <laughs> night? Like, oh, get, get a free shot with this flyer. And the night was always called Dirty Dance Floors, just without fail. Yeah, it was, it was, wasn't it? And it was, like you said, that line kind of, again, perf- perfectly co- sort of encapsulates what it was like at that time to be around and, and enjoy it. And I was in town the other day and I walked past, a, we've actually referenced this venue, the venue, sorry, on, on this podcast before the venue. Um, but I walked past it and there was a little, it said tonight's, tonight's um, was um, a Harry Styles versus Taylor Swift night. And I just thought, 
What's happened? What's happened to the world? That was the club night. You know, like we used to. <laughs> yeah, but we used to have. I'd hate to see that. Versus that. <laughs> so would I actually? It would probably turn into something much naughtier than wrestling, though, in them two. But right, um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, dreams of naughtiness, you could say. Um, but it's um, <laughs> it's you know it used to be like Arctic Monkeys versus the Strokes and stuff, didn't it? Oh, yeah. there, like, if, if it were like a 1975 versus Arctic Monkeys night or something like that, but to have a an indie club with Harry Styles versus Taylor Swift, I didn't know what not what was going on. But yeah, no, that's a good lyric. My my favorite lyric is, um, "I wish you'd stop ignoring me because you're sending me to despair without a sound year calling me." And I don't think it's very fair because I just think that 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 when you're in a club and there's a girl and you think she might like you and you like her but you don't have the guts to go over and she's not really looking at you but she kind of is looking at you and you're unsure and you don't know what to do that that line perfectly that feeling that i'm sure everybody listening to this has had um that line just completely nails that feeling yeah it's that thing isn't it of because you'd you'd get into the certainly from our experience you'd get into the club early because you get in before midnight the drinks are cheaper and it's free <laughs> to get in and you don't have to queue and of, often you would kind of see this girl like in the first half an hour it's like well I'm not going to yeah. do anything now because then I've got to buy her drinks all night so, so we'll, we'll we'll hang on for a bit but yeah it's, it's it's exactly that and then that that feeling of being being ignored it's like well is she just being aloof. Or it just you just think I'm an absolutely despicable human being. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's just perfectly they just yeah, they just get it so right with that line and it's um I mean I I you know, you say about the start of the night, but I perfectly remember once being so desperate at the end of the night to pull that I ended up getting off with someone in the cloakroom queue. I mean, the lights were up and everything, and I'm still there uh, plugging away. I was yeah, a yeah. I'll give, give, yeah. give myself that credit. But the, these chats are really making me long for those days a little bit. Isn't it sad, isn't it? But we can't go back. But we can talk about it on this podcast. Uh, so I have a favourite uh, musical moment as well. Mad in your ears They make you get up and down Make you get... My favourite musical moment is just quite simply the opening of the track. I think the way that uh, I think the anime review described it as a machine gun roll of the drums, mm. and it's the way it comes in with the guitar and it's just in your face. It's there. It's the first single that this band that's been hyped and it's just right, you know. And it's that that's what you're talking going back to nightclubs when you'd hear that in the club, you'd just hear that come in and everyone would go for it. And I just think it's such a great opening to a track. Do you have a, a favourite? One mine, mine is the instrumental breakdown prior to the final chorus, and so so we're looking at like the final 20 30 seconds of the song here. But there's just that, mm. that kind of instrumental breakdown where they're all building up for the chorus again. Alex is going up and down the neck of the guitar, yeah. And you've yeah. kind of got this, yeah. This, this song's nearly over now, it's, it's, it's nearly <laughs> over. We're gonna hit, hit us with this first, absolutely magnificent. Yeah, and the break when it stops and he comes in singing. Which is why I think actually this song is kind of quite comparable to Are You Mine? And I think it was their next song, This and Are You Mine, in terms of just being this banging tune that, that blasts through it and it's in your face and it's there. And it also has this lead up bit that then goes to a, the music stops and he sings a line and then it comes back in. And they're quite similar in structure. Um, but yeah, no. And interest, interestingly, the, the break, I think you had an instrumental breakdown once, didn't you? Um, but the... <laughs> the 
<laughs> the the breakdown um is actually the same as the opening so we both kind of pick the same musical moment yeah but in different it, yeah. places interestingly yeah. enough because it's basically the same thing um okay so uh, the yeah they're just the great moments that will live in music forever i do have a hot take this week nick but you have a hot take we jump here. into the hot take I, I would just like to i do i do i do but, but before you play the jingle that i know you're dying to play I want to just discuss a couple of things about your hot take last week. She flicks a red hot revelation off the tip of her tongue. So last week, Nick, you rather brazenly suggested that um, is The View from the Afternoon the best opening track to an album ever? And then we kind of bottled it by the end because we realised that um, Changes is the first song on uh, <laughs> David Bowie album, uh, Hunky Dory. Um, now, I have rather embarrassingly for you compiled a list of songs that um, are regarded as some of the best opening tracks on albums ever. Okay. Well, before Bitter you do Sweet it, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll maybe I'll revise it. <laughs> my favourite opening track on it. <laughs> Save yourself from the inevitable embarrassment. Oh, there's some good ones. Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. Not Welcome even the to the Jungle by Guns and Roses. So. Okay, okay, okay. There's going to be some that I know you can test that one, but there's some that you can't. Welcome to the Jungle, Guns N' Roses. I want to be adored, Stone Roses. Barbara O'Reilly by The Who, <laughs> which which interestingly blows my line that although I don't think it's the best opening track, I then went on to say that I think you can't find a better technical, technically performed track that's going to knock this one out of the water. And then Barbara O'Reilly by The Who kind of takes that one out of out of the mix um uh, smells like teen spirit by nirvana <laughs> was an album up there debaser by the pixies gimme shelter yeah, I, the rolling I stones seven nation army seven seven nation army thought you'd be all over that uh we will rock you by queen and come together by the beatles is an album so um i'm sure when uh, people will have something to say on that but anyway it's time for let's just just not embarrass you there and come back it's time for my um <laughs> my hot take this week so it's time for me to embarrass myself okay um this one's harder to prove i'd say is this song and this album and everything about it the best way that a band has ever introduced themselves to the world that's my question with the whole, the way the track is, the way it's in the way, the way that you said "Don't believe the hype," the way that they shot the video in this in this way that you wouldn't expect, um, you know, is is this the best? to keep you give away and a way a band that jumps on the scenes. And I know it's probably easy to say the Beatles at some point, but let's take the Beatles out of the equation because you know they they were the first as well. Um, but um, you know, was there a a band that has kind of come onto the scene in a, a better way than this? Um, but one that I did think I was like, okay, well, you know, Wonderwall was a pretty seminal moment for Oasis in the video, but and the way that they look in that video and everything. But I'm also including the Don't Believe the Hype and stuff in there, so I still don't think it encapsulated everything about Oasis. I, I can I can quite happily... Well, I'll, what I'll do, I'll do what you did last week, and I'll go along <laughs> with it, and then I'll, I'll, just, I'll just come back and tear you down. Next week try it, mate. Just foolproof, mate. I googled... I googled that. Try googling that sentence and getting a coherent answer out. It's very hard to do. <laughs> Good luck with the research. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I do think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of merit in what you just said, though, partic particularly given that, unlike singles nowadays, this wasn't getting... Ra getting mainstream radio play for weeks beforehand. Normally mm. when a song goes to number one, you've heard yeah. it on mainstream radio for weeks, perhaps months, and got sick of it in that time. But for a lot of people, 
they just saw this song just go go straight into number one, and yeah, that, that's how. It, but yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned the video in that as well because that's that's a massive part of it. The whole tempering expectations. Yeah, it's the whole. Uh, it's not. I know this isn't the, the the best way a band's come on the scene of a song, but it's the best way that I think everything comes has come out has come onto the scene. I can't think of anything anyway. I would be glad to be proved wrong though. Um, too. Well, yeah, that's good of you. No, but but I, I'm just saying that to to make it to lower the, the expectation yeah. <laughs> to, to make it's it less embarrassing. Thing. It's a tough thing people uh, say, yeah. isn't it? Like chances are fine thing, you know that, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I, no, no, I'm fine. But yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, uh, I, I think, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty think that's going to hold up. But we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's like it's obviously you know I think just to sum up, it's it's an absolutely banging song. It's still relevant today. It's still popular today. Not the greatest technical achievement by any stretch, but it just works and it's still exciting to listen to. If, if you're not into Arctic Monkeys, you still know this song. And there's a lot of a lot of bands that are. You mentioned Oasis, and I'd argue either Wonderwall or Don't Look Back in Anger that people know, even if they're not into Oasis. White Stripes, mm. Seven Nation Army. In other words, yeah. you don't like White Stripes, you know Seven. Well, you can't fucking get away from Seven Nation Army these days. Absolutely. <laughs> sick. I wonder if I'm a massive White Stripes fan. But yeah, <laughs> the fact that it is. If you, I think if you ask people on the street about Arctic Monkeys, this is the song that, that they'd know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The biggest hit, but also the kind of it's the one that haunts you, isn't it? It's that it's that it's everyone, every artist has got one on it. The biggest hit that haunts them. Um, yeah. You know, every band's you know Oasis, Oasis, Wonderwall. Uh, like I said, Creep, Radiohead, Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, goes into other stuff. You know, Da Vinci probably with the the flowers. I always, I always feel <laughs> sorry for. Uh, I, I went to uh, to a little festival a few years ago, and Top Loader were playing. They, they were the headline act. I don't know why I went. I don't know why I went to a festival that had <laughs> Top Loader as, 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 as oh, the headline act. I've, ooh, don't, don't. But, but, but they, don't. they, uh, they played "Dancing in the Moonlight" four songs into the set. Four songs into the set, and then it was just a mass exodus. And it they went off at the end at the end of the gig, came back on for an encore, and played "Dancing in the Moonlight" once again with former footballer <laughs> Dion Dublin and his his you <laughs> former footballer and property nonce Dion Dublin like playing his little musical instrument that he made himself. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing know- I've seen in my life. Do you know what infuriated me about that song is like One It Wonder, obviously. I found out it's a cover. I didn't even know it was a cover. It's a song from the sixties or the seventies. I was like, so the your most biggest song is a cover. Like it's you, not, know, you haven't even earned that. I'll give you another song that's a that's a great song, but that is also actually a cover that I found out recently. Is it, Torn is it... by Natalie and Brulia. Really? That is also a cover, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Didn't know that because yeah. I know I've heard the cover by um, a band that do a cover of that. I've heard their cover of her song, but I didn't know she were covering someone. Wow, yeah. well, there you go. I, I correct myself as well. It's Vincent Van Gogh and his flowers, not not Da Vinci. Correct yeah. that. Rather than what you want, mate. Oh, I know. Uh, I went to a Vincent Van Gogh um, <laughs> gallery uh, <laughs> uh, not long ago, so I should have known. But yes, no, no, yep. Yeah, I think great tune. Um, does exactly what it says on the tin. 
you could say. Yes, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Do we have anything else to say about I bet that you look good on the dance floor before we wrap up? We don't. I think we've given some great information. We've had some great little segments there. You threw out some little mini game for the statistics of how many times it's played live and stuff. I think, you know, like I say, there's not there's not a, a load of stuff to discuss in the lyrics for this one or the, or the music. It's it's just a great tune, but. But I think we, I think we, uh, I think we enjoyed ourselves regardless. And that's. And the I hope the thing. listeners did. Yes, and dear listeners, if you have enjoyed yourselves, please be sure to subscribe, like, rate us, review us, as long as they're good reviews. Do all that cool stuff that you need to do. All our links can be found in the episode description on your podcast player of choice. You can look on the episode description and there will be a link there to all our social media and everywhere you can find us. We will be back next week where we will be talking about Dan. What we're talking about, Dan. We'll be, we'll be talking about what's wrong, Dan. <laughs> what are you talking about, Dan? We will be talking about the third track on whatever people say, and that's what I'm not. Fake Tales of San Francisco. Which I am Funky very excited as about. Fuck yeah, yeah. yeah I haven't heard, I haven't listened of, to that one for ages either. There's, yeah, there's, there's quite quite a fair bit to unpick in that in in comparison to, to this probably one, one of my favorite lyrics off this album. In there, I won't, I won't, um, I won't ruin it now. But probably one of my favorite lyrics off the album is in this song. Maybe Same. one of Alex's this, this wittiest. wittiest. <laughs> I yeah. think we both oh, know what it is, and we're both from it. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is that there's having, having listened to it this week, there's actually several contenders for that title. So maybe okay. we will end up picking different okay. ones. I've, I've got I've got a couple there. Maybe, maybe we right. Will. I have been Nick Lee. He has been Dan Hall, and together we have been. Don't believe the hype. We will be back next Lesbian Wednesday with, as mentioned, Fake Tales of San Francisco. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. Do all that stuff that I mentioned before, and we will see you on the flip side, as long as flip side means in seven days' time. Say bye to the nice people, Dan. Goodbye. So uh, That's like Northern English for bye. Bye! Don't Believe the Hype is hosted and produced weekly by Nick Lee and Dan Holt. Music used in the titles is royalty-free music courtesy of Les FM. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice to be notified every Wednesday when a new episode is released. And if you want to help us out further, be sure to like and review to help make us more visible to like-minded souls. We'll see you next week with more of the same.